you all do that faithfully and you're here. And I try to respect your time um, because of that and um, prepare and try to get to what I want to say fast as possible. And um, sometimes I do that better than other times, but technology saved y'all today. You don't know it, but I printed out the wrong sermon somehow, and I just figured that out a few minutes ago. And uh, I told Megan, I was like, I guess I'm just going to wing it. I don't know how this is going to go. And uh, and I think I probably could have handled it, but I remembered I had a sick child at home, so she she put it on the Internet for me. So I can't really see it, but I've got it on my phone right here, and I'm going to do the best I can. Um, and I think it will be better for me to follow some kind of outline. So I am going to follow it instead of winging it. Um, let me see if this is working. There we go. So we're in basically Joshua chapter, I mean Joel chapter 3. But um, I did start back in verse 28 of chapter 2. Um, because I thought it was important. And I want to, I want to look at that before we jump into chapter 3 because it's just important, especially since we haven't been in this for a couple of weeks. I just want to remind you where we're at. And if we have Joel's prophecy in a proper place in history, and I hope we kind of do, just prior to the Babylonian captivity, then that's right where Judah is. They're about to be taken in, uh, off into captivity. And so, so much of what um, Joel says is about that coming defeat and humiliation, that taken by another uh, nation into captivity again. Um, but we know also he's not just prophesying about that, as the prophets do. It's not just about the time and events that are just about to take place, uh, but he also is prophesying about the future when God returns his people back from captivity. And even further than that, he's given us visions, or he is given by God visions of uh, the Messianic era. era. Or in other words, the times when Jesus comes to earth, the Messiah. The latter days, or the last days. So we are in the last days. Sometimes people will say in error, I think we're in the last days. Oh, we are in the last days. The Bible is clear, from the time Jesus came to earth, the last days are here. And we'll talk a little bit about that more in a few minutes. But he even, I believe, um, mentions the first advent or the first coming of Christ and the return of Christ and I believe chapter 3 especially is about the final destruction of all the enemies of God and the glorious eternal state for the people of God as a matter of fact the New Testament demonstrates this for us very well in Peter's Pentecostal sermon we alluded to this before in Acts chapter 2 after Jesus had come here lived, died, resurrected and ascended back to heaven then we have this Pentecost, or you might call it sort of the beginning of the birth of the church, as we know, the New Testament church. And Peter preached this sermon because all these people were had the Spirit of God on them, right? And they're speaking in tongues and other languages, but everybody around them was understanding them in their own language. It was a miracle of God. Amazing. Not being duplicated in any way today. It was a, it was a miracle of God. And Peter, they're all saying, these people are drunk, they're crazy. And so Peter stands up, preaches his sermon, and says, no, I'm telling you literally what Joel said is coming to pass. This is what was spoken of by Joel. It's happening. And so it's been said, and I believe correctly, that Joel's prophecy 
concerns the eschatological era. Now that's just a big word that means eschatology in times, okay? So God's vision to Joel was a prophecy about eschatological era, the eschatological era. And we're now in that era. The church is not an interruption in the plan of God. We're in the Messianic age. We are living in the church age. The Spirit has come. Zion has already been exalted in that the Gentiles have joined Israel in the worship of Israel's God. And the judgment of this world has begun. We await the culmination of all things. We're in that, we say this a lot, the now and the not yet. The time of Christ is here. The time of judgment is here. The time of salvation is here. And it is going toward culmination. And I point that out because I'm going to get to something in a minute to remind those who may not know Christ or may not have put their faith and trust in Christ, don't listen to a lot of what the world is telling you, a lot of the church saying, one day you'll know that you'll know it's getting close to the end because of all these signs. No, I'm telling you, we're in the end. And the judgment has already started. And stop putting that off. You can't keep waiting, thinking one day I'll know because I see all these signs and then I'll know Jesus is about to come. And so then I'll repent and be saved. No, now is the day of salvation. And so be aware of that. So I believe that the purpose of Israel has been fulfilled. As the scriptures say, the purpose of Israel is to be a blessing to many nations. They, God said that to Abraham before Israel even was started. I will bless you and make you a blessing to many nations to bring about the salvation of God's people. God's purpose in the scripture is not any nation, but his people, which is made up of Jew and Gentile. And this purpose has been fulfilled. Isaiah 49 and 6 tells us, It's a light thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. And Joel says it here in verse 2.32. For all Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be a deliverance as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. In Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council, James cites Amos 9.11-12 as proof positive that the Gentiles were to be included in the salvation of Israel. Right? He points that out. He goes back and says, Joel, who, not Joel, but Amos, who was prophesying just prior to Joel, said that God was going to raise up this fallen tent of David. And so James says, hey, this is happening. God had, is, is doing this. And it's part of this plan that he used the Jewish nation to be a light to the Gentiles because God's plan was always going to be to make a people for himself. And that people is the church. In fact, Paul takes that same thing, Romans 10, verses 11 13, through 13, which you know very familiarly because it's quoted all the time in the gospel presentations, especially in evangelistic type scenarios. And listen to what it says. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Straight from Job. So the New Testament writers clearly saw what the prophets 
could not see clearly, but they saw this coming time where God is doing these things. He's going to unfold this judgment and this justice and this salvation in part and in increments until finally one day it's all going to culminate and there's this really great and terrible day of the Lord that all these other day of the Lords have pointed to and in that day God's salvation will be full and complete but so too will His judgment and destruction of all His enemies. Somebody said that the prophets could see mountaintops but they couldn't see the valleys. So they prophesied the mountaintops because that's what they saw we get to see the valley, what's in the valleys to get back up to the mountains, right? I think that's a good way to look at it. Because if you were to ask Joel, Joel, did you really know that there was this Messiah and his name would be Jesus and that he would be uh, lifted up and he would die and crucified and he'd be buried and he'd raise again? And I think Joel would be astounded. He knows that now. But then I think he would have been astounded because he just prophesied what he was told. Now the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit come along and said, as uh, as Michael was talking about in Sunday school, all the scripture points to Jesus. We now know that was him. He was the answer. But God's plan has always been through Abraham, through Jacob and Isaac, through Israel, would come this Messiah. And that would be the light that would bring his church together and all the people of God in. We read that passage, I had that passage read from uh, about Simeon, who proclaims that, along with everybody else, this Jesus is the fruition of the promises of God. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all your people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, this child Jesus. Right? And so I point that out because as we journey through today and conclude Joel's writing, I want to remind you that the point of Scripture, the point of the Bible, the revelation of God is to get to Jesus. That's the whole point. Any eschatological, again, that that word just means any end times goal other than Christ is a faulty one. I have to believe that. If your end times theology is pointing to anything other than Christ, it's not correct. And it's here that I believe eschatology is very much important. What do you believe to be the goal of Scripture? What do you believe that God is accomplishing? What is the point? I believe that bad eschatology or bad end times theology is largely to blame for our poor understanding of the aim and goal of history. We think something else is happening instead of what's really happening, and that is to get us to Christ because Christ is God's answer for everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. This is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. What's the purpose of the Bible? Not to save you, the purpose of God's writing is Christ. And in Christ, you're saved. There's a church sign here locally that says, Jesus is the map that leads us to the treasure. Which begs the question, well then, what is the treasure? Right? 
I thought Jesus was the treasure. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at people. I, I, I would assume that they have no understanding that that's a bad thing. They probably think that, oh, that's, that's not it. This is cool. Jesus is the way to get us to the treasure. But it highlights to me this generation's misunderstanding and misfocus in the church. Number one, I think it highlights our, our poor eschatology. We think there's a whole lot of things that we're, go, we're coming to rather than Christ. We think there's a purpose in the scripture other than Christ. God's purpose is Christ and everything else that is a blessing as a result of Christ. We think we've got something coming greater than God himself. And to me, that's where we're, we're off base. You know, I don't think it's wrong for us to think in these terms because humanly speaking, the only thing we know is what we've been experiencing, what we know to be true. So we speak of heaven in these terms. I can't wait to see mom again. And that's true. I, I have a mom that I'm trusting is in heaven. I can't wait to see her. That'll be an awesome thing. But if my thinking is the treasure is I get to go to heaven and see the people I love, I'm missing that the point is God doesn't condemn me. He saves me and I get God in presence and joy with God and he throws in the people that I love and, and how that's going to all work as well. Joel is given the word of the Lord, which I think is just awesome. And, and I pointed this out. I think it's probably accurate. Maybe, maybe it's not. But it seems like starting in 2, verse 18, he is prophesying. He sees, though he may not know it, he sees the coming of Christ. And then from verse 28 on, I believe all the way through the end, he points or sees the time after Christ's death and resurrection. And as I mentioned, even sees all the way to the final climactic day of the Lord. So if you look at that with me, he says, it shall come to pass afterward. So verse 18 through 28 is talking about Jesus coming to the earth the first time. And then he dies and is buried and resurrected and ascended back to heaven. Then verse 28 states, and it shall come to pass or afterwards. Then, after Christ is resurrected, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Because that's what happened at Pentecost. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female service in those days, I will pour out my spirit. All that happened, right? We saw that happen in the scripture if you read the New Testament. And he says, I will show wonders in the heavens, on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now, we've seen this through the minor prophets. There's the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is the day of the Lord. But there are days of the Lord before we get there. So they, there's these pictures that God provides to show a little hint of what the day of the Lord is going to be like. Destruction, blood, darkness. And the prophets use that over and over. I think... That's what Joel is doing here. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, for the great and awesome day of the Lord. And there's other prophets that use this. Joel even uses this again later. This idea of smoke um, and fire. It's a picture of judgment. And it's also a picture of salvation. But if you recall, Jesus even said, takes this in Matthew 24, 
and uses it to point to himself in something that happens, I believe, after his lifetime. But I want you to look at this with me. And I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I, I want to try to make a point again about this. So I'm not necessarily trying to convince you of my eschatology just yet. I just want you to see this. Joel just said that in the great and terrible day of the Lord, there's going to be some darkness and the sun is dark and the moon is like blood. What Jesus says takes that in verse 29 of Matthew 24 and says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's this idea often that when this kind of language is used, there's judgment at hand. You may recall the day Jesus was crucified when he died. The Bible says there was darkness over all the earth. It was, it was to give this picture of one day there's going to be really darkness for some. There's going to be this awful, terrible day of the Lord. And it's pointing to that. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 24, it's one of the most important chapters in all the Bible for end times belief or eschatology. Now again, we may talk about this again soon. I'm not necessarily going to spend a lot of time here. I just want, you, I want to point out this idea in Matthew 24. Jesus asked the question at the very beginning. He's leaving the temple. He's just, he's just preached in a way that people don't understand that Jesus did preach. I mean, he just destroyed the religious people because of their hypocrisy. And so the disciples, they're leaving the temple and they start pointing out the buildings of the temple. But Jesus answered and said, you see all these? Do you not? Well, truly I say to you that there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. He said, this temple that you're so enthralled over is going to be destroyed. And so then privately with his disciples, they say, well then tell us, Lord, when will all these things be? Now, here's where you either got to jump on or jump off. Some people believe this is one solid question. Well, tell us when are these things going to happen and the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Tell us all that. But I believe that he clearly they're asking two questions. Well, when will all these things be? This tearing down of the buildings. When will this temple be destroyed? And also, when will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be? And I think that Jesus spends all this next time, all the way down to verse 36, answering the first question. Well, when will these things be? And he tells them all this stuff. And again, this would be lesson after lesson after lesson to try to teach through all this. But I believe that all this stuff, when will this be? All that was the destruction of Jerusalem around 70 AD. And the temple was destroyed all these things, the abomination of desolation, all those things were done and happened and are gone. But then if you notice, and so so too, some in some way, after the tribulation of those days, the tribulation that happened before 70 AD, the sun was darkened, the moon didn't give us light, the stars fell from heaven. 
again, a picture of something that was coming in its ultimate fruition later. But then in verse 36, I think he answers that last question. But concerning that day, concerning your coming again in the end of the age, in that day, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. And I kind of alluded to this earlier. The reason I'm pointing this out, because I'm trying to make this point today, we're, we're going to get to Joel chapter 3 in just a minute to close. He's looking at the very end of very end day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back and all his enemies are destroyed and the kingdom is set up for all eternity. And a lot of people believe that there's going to be all these signs in the beginning of Matthew chapter 24 that's going to point to that. I believe all that's already happened. When Jesus comes back the second time, concerning that day, nobody knows. And again, I point this out because I'm afraid that there's a lot of people who are sitting around waiting, thinking that, well, I'll know when it's getting close because all this stuff's going to happen. There's going to be tribulation, and then more tribulation. And then it's going to, uh, there's going to be this love, waxing, all these things that Jesus says here. But if this is true, if he's answering this second question, he basically says, hey, those things already happened. When Jesus comes back, nobody's going to know. So you better be ready. That's my point. Because look what he said. For in those days, just like before the flood, they'll be eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they were all unaware until the flood came. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But he is coming. So I issue that warning before I finish chapter 3. You don't know when the Lord's coming. Don't be living as though you're going to find out. You're going to somehow get an indication that it's time for me to repent now because it's getting really close. Because chapter 3 describes this final climactic battle with the nations of the world and God's condemnation of those nations. Much the same way the other minor prophets, Joel gives us this view. Now, first he started with this locust plague, and then this military that would be like a locust that would haul off the people of God into captivity. But then he gives us this call to repentance and an act of forgiveness on God's part and restoration, and then this final judgment of the nations, this final culmination of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And all the nations are summoned into this valley of Jehoshaphat. Many commentators link this to the battle of Armageddon in Revelation. Because Jehoshaphat means simply judgment of the Lord. It's possibly not a geographical location, but more symbolic of what's going to take place at that location, wherever it is. The point being that Joel saw a day very far off when God would deal with his enemies. A day when the enemies of God and his church will be gathered and dealt with. A day, as Joel says, when the wine press will be full and it's time to put the sickle to the harvest. A day when no one knows or will be expecting 
A day when God's wrath is full and will overflow and trample the enemies of God. That day's coming. And he points that out in chapter 3. So beware, O enemies of God. Because notice what it says here. Multitudes and multitudes are mobs and mobs. Throngs of people are in the valley of decision. Now you've probably heard people preach that before and say something like an evangelistic sermon. Oh, there's multitudes in the valley of decision. Make a decision for the Lord. No, that's not what's going on here. Literally, this is the valley of the verdict. The decision is not for people to make. They're waiting on God's verdict and decision. The decision has already been made. It's just about to be handed down. So this is not God saying, i got a lot of people that's just waiting to make a decision. I hope they do. At this point, at this valley of decision, those decisions are not able to be made. The verdict is already handed in. And it's going to be a great and terrible day. But, as Joel continues to show us here in chapter 3, on that same day, when the enemies of God are destroyed, the Lord will be a refuge to His people, a stronghold to the people of Israel, so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip, drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. Just a, an allusion back to that promised land that was a picture of this land. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and fountains shall come from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Yeah, Egypt, picture of the enemies of God, they shall become a desolation. Edom, another picture of the enemies of God. There will be a desolate wilderness for the, will, for the violence they have done to Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood that I have not avenged before for the Lord dwells in Zion. Finally, God will answer those in Revelation 6 who cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? on those who dwell on the earth. It's a coming day. The church, we need to be reminded of this great and terrible day of the Lord. It's coming. It's real. And there are mobs and mobs of people who will be crushed and forever punished under the mighty hand of the Lord. But God has graciously brought us in His family. So may we use this warning as a time to pray for and look for those who God will bring in to His family. Those who the Lord will call, those who will call the name of the Lord as a result and be saved. Because I'm not looking at some kind of intermission. I'm looking at there's a great and terrible day of the Lord coming and God will judge His enemies and save His people and then it will be over. So may God have mercy on us as a church and remind us of this. Hey, I, I don't gloat in the fact that all the enemies of God will be destroyed at this point. I think one day I can rejoice in it because they're the enemies of God. But at this point, I don't know who they are and I don't want to see anybody perish. And so our desire ought to be, God give us a longing for those who do not know Christ. That they might hear the gospel and be saved.
from the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because as Amos pointed out, it's a dark, terrible day. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to be a part of it. Joel's an interesting little book. Small, but packed full of stuff. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I ask that you would give us understanding. Uh, there's a lot of heavy stuff there. And um, things that uh, we need to be reminded of. But I pray that you would bless our understanding and let your will be done. God, that you would uh, use this as an opportunity to encourage us on to learn more about you and your word and to study as a church family that we grow in grace and understanding and that we grow in our love for those around us and that you would give us great opportunities to share the gospel with those who are in need of it because we know that's how you save your people and so we trust you to use us for that purpose in Jesus name we pray amen